0: It was January 14, 2015, Shine and his fireman crew were called out to St. Louis Lake. They were called out there because three boys had fallen through the ice. It was a particularly warm day in January for them, and the boys had gone out there to play on the ice and all of a sudden found that the ice cracked and gave way, and three of them went into the water. The police were the first ones to arrive on the scene, and they were able to pull two of the young boys out of the water, but John Smith, age 14, had sunk deep into the water. Shine gathered on his gear and gathered up his 12-foot pipe pole and went into the water to search for the young boy. He began to poke the pole down, searching and smashing and hitting into different things, and eventually... a voice spoke to him and told him to go back to a spot. He had already been there, and so he listened to the voice, and he went back to a spot, and he hit upon something. They were afraid the young boy had been under for about 10 minutes at this time, that it was going to be impossible to rescue him, that they would even be able to find this young boy. But he felt a tug and a little bit of resistance on the pole. He said these words, well, here goes nothing, and he began to pull the pole up, and he felt little less resistance each time he pulled the pole, and eventually the body of John Smith rose to the top. They immediately pulled him out of the icy water. They dragged him to shore, got him into an ambulance, and they worked on him all the way to the hospital. When they got him to the hospital, the doctor that was there was actually one that had worked on many drowning victims. He had actually spent 45 minutes on John Smith trying to resuscitate him, but he never could. He walked out to the mother, afraid of what he was going to have to tell her. And as he walked out there, she could see it on his face. Joy began to pray. She began to pray that God would save her son. And she actually cried out in the midst of the entire emergency room. She said, God, please don't take my boy. Within a few seconds of her shout, they found a pulse in her son. They began to work on him again, and it was several months before he went home. And guess what? No problems persisted. They always give credit, of course. They give credit to the fire department, the policemen, to the EMTs, to the doctors that worked on him. But they know who the true rescuer was that day. But they were truly thankful for those men and women that came out there to be there for them. In Washington, the state of Washington, some men were called To a rescue. A fire was engulfed in flames. They were afraid that they were going to be a little late. They said there's still someone in the flames. There's still somebody we believe is trapped in the house. Well, the fireman Mike Hughes decided to rush into the fire's As he went into the house, he began to check room to room. Smoke was filling the house. It was about to be consumed. And he happened to see a door open, and he walked to where the door was. And there inside the crib was a nine-month-old baby. He swooped in, grabbed the child, rushed the baby out of the doors, handed her off to the very first firefighter that he could see, and they began to take care of that little child. He said, if I had been there 20 seconds later, we would be telling a different story. What's really cool is that 17 years later, from 1998 when this happened, 17 years later, he was able to go to that young lady's graduation to see her walk across the stage. She hugged him, thanked him, loved on him, got many pictures with him because she remembered if it wasn't for him, she wouldn't be here today. We hear rescue stories like this all the time of the way God moves and works, and we're truly thankful that God uses the men and women as first responders to help save lives. But we're thankful for our greatest hero, the one that we read about in the Word of God, who not only rescues a few lives, but has given the opportunity to rescue all lives. We want you to ask today to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. Now, if you're not sure where the book of Jude is, I'm sure you know the last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. All you have to do is flip over one more page and you'll find the book of Jude. It's the second to last book in the Bible. We're actually going to look at one verse today in the book of Jude that I think is pretty relevant today to help us understand about the greatest responder and the greatest rescue of all time. Jude and verse 23 is where we're at. So if you look in your Bibles, here's where we read. It simply says this. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. I love that. Pulling them out of the fire. Now I'm going to tell you, I, I, I love watching different shows on television. One of my favorite shows that I still watch today is 9 one Has anybody else watch 9 I love that show. It it just, it amazes me. It always drives me crazy when they don't save the person. I know it happens that they don't always get rescued, but you're watching that show and you're always looking for hope. I I just love to watch it because you love to see how the police officers and the firefighters and the EMTs and all of them work together and they're willing to risk so much to help those who are in need. But I'm going to tell you, I've always been intrigued as a child with fire. Not that I'm please don't think that your pastor is a pyromaniac. I'm not. I don't sit there and flick on lighters just so I can look at it. I don't light the fireplace just so I can sit there and stare into the fire, but I've always been intrigued by fires and those men and women who will risk all to bust in the midst of a fire and rescue someone out of it. There's just always been something about that that seems exciting and is so Fulfilling and thrilling to see them rescue people in that manner. When we look at Jude 23, we see that there are people in the fire. is just pulling them out of the fire. But I want to talk about three questions today that we need to answer that kind of helps us understand about the greatest rescue story of all. The first thing I want us to think about is what causes the fire? What causes the fire? Now, today, fires are started by many things. In fact, there have been many fires that have been started through electrical outlets. Uh, There have been fires that have started in homes because someone left on an appliance like a stove or an iron. We were on our way to Florida, and we had gotten away about an hour. Now, this was a 10-hour trip for us. John does not like to add time to his trip. John wants to get on the road, and John wants to go. My wife goes, did I leave on the iron? Every time we go somewhere, I hear that question. Did I forget to turn off the iron? And I'm thinking to myself, "Um, girl, we are an hour into this trip. I am not adding two hours to this trip. And she goes, but I think I left it on. I think I cut it off, but I think I left it on. I don't know what I did with the iron. I'm like, is there somebody there that can go and check out our house she goes, well, there's not a key. We don't, we don't have a hide key so they can't get into the house. I said, I'll tell you what. You call Steve up and see if Steve will take a ladder over to our house, climb up to the front awning, look into our bedroom where the iron is at, and see if it's unplugged. If it's not unplugged, I'll go home, or he can break a window and go turn it off for us. I am not turning around. We are an hour into this trip. Needless to say, he climbs up on the ladder, looks inside, and guess what? The iron has been unplugged. My wife now has something she has to do every time she irons. When she finishes ironing, she has to shout out throughout the house, I unplug the iron. (laughs) Why? Because if we get in the car and she's ironed, you know what she'll say? Did I forget to unplug the iron? We heard you shout it. You did not. But fires are started that way. It can happen, and that becomes a worry for us. People can also start fires. In fact, those that smoke, for some reason, I don't know why, if you smoke while you feel the need, you can flick it out the window. Please stop. That is called littering. Don't flick your ashes out. Don't flick your cigarette out. Fires have been started by far smaller things. Please, if you have an ashtray in your car, put it out in that. You're like, well, it gets it dirty. Stop dirtying up our roads. Don't start fires. But then there are also people who are pyromaniacs, right? There are people out there that just enjoy setting fires. But we're talking about physical fires. But I need you to understand there's an eternal fire that has started. And that eternal fire was started because of sin. Every one of us understands that hell is reserved for those who choose to refuse the precious gift of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear in Matthew 25 and verse 41 that it's an eternal fire. It says, they shall also, also unto them on the left hand, depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire. It's eternal. In fact, Matthew also tells us later on that it is unquenchable, that it is painful, That it's also called everlasting destruction and everlasting punishment and everlasting damnation. There is a fire that has been set ablaze. And it is far worse than any forest fire. It is far worse than any fires that have been set in the land of California. And as we know, New Mexico has a wildfire going on right now. It is an all-consuming fire that if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it will consume you for all of eternity. Sin has caused that fire. It happened at the very beginning when Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, and they were given one rule, one rule, and that was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Unfortunately, a serpent came in. A lot of people say, oh, that seems like a very strange story. Well, let me explain something to you. Satan can be whatever he wants in order to tempt you and trick you into whatever he wants you to do. Satan posed as a serpent and went into the garden, and we didn't slither in it this time because we know that, guess what, snakes had feet. That was a part of their curse, that their feet were removed. They went in, he slithered into the garden, he walked into the garden, and he comes up to Eve and he says, has God really told you not to touch the fruit? Not not to eat it, because that's what Adam had been told, but he says not to touch it. You ever notice how when we have rules, we may give our kids even more rules to kind of keep them from breaking the real rule? You know what I'm talking about? I believe Adam did that with Eve. He said, God told us not to even touch the fruit. So the serpent probably went up the tree and touched the fruit and said, See, I didn't die. You can eat it. It's okay. What she didn't realize is that eating of that fruit that she partook of would cause a damnation upon mankind as she handed it off to her husband. And he ate as well. It would cause a damnation upon mankind that would bring sin into the world and light, eternal hell, fire. But sin is the cause of this fire. Is because we've chosen to go in our own direction and God does not want to take anybody to heaven that doesn't want to go there. God doesn't want to take anybody to heaven that won't receive his precious gift through Jesus Christ, his son. What causes the fire? Number two, what puts people in the fire? Well, Jude 20, if you go through the whole book of Jude, you find that Jude is proclaiming. The problem that's within the book is that there are many false teachers. Can I tell you today that one of the biggest issues we have in the church is false teachers false teachers that do not proclaim the truth in fact jude understood this and he talked about what he called them were apostates these were ones who knew the truth but turned away from the truth and preached against the truth they were people who could take the bible basically god's word and use it for their own devices In fact, that's why I tell you all the time, we need to be like the Bereans, and that is study the Word of God so that when a false teacher proclaims a false doctrine, we can stand up and say, that's not Bible. That is man's doctrine and not God's doctrine. Jude understood that because he said there were many apostates during his time. And this is what he said about them. These are in verse 12. These are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead pulled up by the roots. He said they're a bunch of dead trees that offer no fruit. They're like the wind that blows that just brushes you away. They come in, they swoop in, and they destroy. In the book of Acts, Paul warned about this. He said, savage wolves are going to come in after I depart. Be prepared. Be ready and understand. Now, the only way that you can be prepared against false teachers is to know the truth. Know the truth. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, you ask police officers how they study counterfeit money. You understand, they don't study the counterfeits. They study the genuine bills. They know the markings. They know everything about the true, genuine bill so that they can spot a fake from a mile away. The same is true when it comes to the teaching of the Word of God. You need to have such a grasp of God's Word that when false teachers come in and teach something that is outside the Word of God, you can say, that's not true. That's not biblical. That's not right. We need to have such a knowledge. These false teachers came in and they caused problems within the church. I'll tell you, one of my favorite movies when I was a teenager was called Backdraft. Anybody remember Backdraft. All right, I watched it. I loved it. It was phenomenal. But you know what was interesting is when you come to the end of the movie and you find out that it was a firefighter setting the fires. It was one of their own men that was causing the problem. I don't know if you're anything like me. I really get into movies. I kind of talk sometimes, right? As they're chasing him, I'm like, get him! Get him! Take him down! Tase him! Shoot him! Whatever you got to do, take him down! I'm, I'm getting into the movie, I'm like, I'm like, man, if you got to throw the axe at him, hit him with the water hose, whatever you got to do, take that dude down. We would never think that someone that was protecting would then turn it into something that harms them. And yet that's what Jude was dealing with when he talked about false teachers He said, we've got those that you would think that should be proclaiming the truth. They're holding a book in their hands called the B-I-B-L-E. It's the holy word of God. He said, you would think that every man that holds that book would be genuine and true. And yet he said, there are many apostates in the church trying to turn people away from the truth. Many people are placed into the fire because of false teachers teaching them false doctrines. Not only that, but he said there's a second reason why people end up in the fire, and that is worldly desires. Look at Jude verse 16. He says, these are grumblers and complainers. We could stop right there and preach a sermon on that one. Couldn't we? We could just stop right there and camp there, but I'm not going to camp there. So verse 16, keep reading. It says, walking, get this, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. I'm going to tell you, the world has a lot to offer, doesn't it? I mean, to be honest with you, if you thought that this is where you could get your best life now, you're in a lot of trouble. There are a lot of things. I'm telling you, growing up, there were so many things I wanted. I thought as a kid that the ultimate goal of growing up was to have a mansion and a Lamborghini. I really did. Those were two things I was working hard for. I wanted to be a lawyer. Five years old, I wanted to be a lawyer because all I could think of is I'll rake in the dough. You know, it'd be like the old line, show me the money. I was ready for it. I was going to rake it in. I was going to have everything I wanted. And I realized that, guess what? That's not what life is about. It's not about how much you can gain. It's not about what you can get in this life. Because the world can entrap you into thinking that this is everything you need in life. You need money. You need homes. You need fame. You need to get your name out there. These are the things you need. These will make you happy. This will drive you along in life. This is what it's all about. The world will offer these things, and it will look beautiful. It will look precious. It will look necessary because, you know, your neighbor has that new car. Maybe your neighbor just got that new boat. You, you sit there and you think, I've got to have these things because I've got to keep up with the Joneses. The problem is you don't realize the Joneses are broken in credit card debt up to their ears. You don't need the things this world has to offer because here's the truth those things will fade away the bible says I love the commercial where the person is is the wife is there at a funeral and she's weeping and you're sitting there thinking man she is really weeping hard for her husband no he's being buried in her Buick I don't care what you bury yourself with, you don't take it along with you. There's never been a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. It doesn't go with you. When this life is over, he who dies with the most toys still dies. It doesn't matter. Worldly pres- pleasures can draw you away from where God wants you to be. It can keep you in the fire. Number three, sin nature. Look at verse 15. He says to execute judgment on all in, verse, in Jude To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Every one of us is sinful. There's not one person in here that can exclaim they've lived a perfect life. Every one of us has a sin nature. We have it sometimes. At some point, I guarantee you, every one of us in here told our parents no. We might have got slapped for it, but we did. We, every one of us in here, I will guarantee, has lied at one time or another, if not multiple times. Most everybody in here, if not everybody, has probably taken something that didn't belong to them. Most everybody, if not everybody in here, has hated someone. And become angry with them, which God equates to murder of the heart. Every one of us in here has sinned, and our sin is what causes us to remain in the fire. We have to be rescued from it because we are in the midst of the flames. He says, I want you to snatch them out. And that's where we come to the third question, how do we get them out of the fire? The word here it says pulling them out of the fire is actually the Greek word for snatching them. The word snatching comes from the Greek word harpazo, which means seizing something or taking it by force. When I hear the word harpazo, the first thing that came to my mind was a harpoon. How many of you would like to fire a harpoon at somebody? Yeah, there's some officers in the house. There's a couple of people over here that need to be arrested. Premeditated murder. There's something about firing a harpoon. You know, that big old thing, and it's got the big old arrow on the end with a chain, and it just shoots out, and you pull it in. There's something that's cool. It's snatching something, and it's grabbing it and pulling it out. They would actually do that sometimes. They would shoot it into walls when they were going in to fight a city, and they'd shoot a harpoon in, and it would fold out, and then they would pull the wall down. There's just something cool about that. And he says, we're called to snatch them out of the fire. I want you to know there's three ways that we can snatch him out of the fire. The first way is to speak truth. To speak truth. Pilate asked a genuine question. When Jesus proclaimed that he was the truth, Pilate said, what is truth? What is truth? Well, I want you to understand what truth is. If you look in the Bible, you see truth about who we genuinely are. Romans 3.23 says, for all. You understand what the word all means, right? All means all, and that's all all means. It means every last one of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. In fact, the Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. If we tried to work our way into heaven, every one of us would fall short because we do not have righteousness in and of ourselves. The Bible says that we are vile, that our mouths are filthy, that our hearts are wretched, that we are far from the truth. That's the truth of the matter. And a lot of people say, well, I don't like where you're going with that. Well, the Bible tells us that for the wages of sin is death. Death. It's death. Every one of us is in grave trouble. Sin brought about death, and it brought about hell, and because of sin, we're in trouble. But the truth is, is that's not where the story ends. Because Romans 6.23 doesn't end with just the first part of the verse. There's a second part. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has provided the greatest rescue. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be snatched out of the fire. You don't have to worry about it if you know the truth. Imagine if you will, you call a 911 operator. And as you're on the line and you know that the person before you is in cardiac arrest, their heart has stopped. The 911 operator has already dispatched the EMT to you, but it's going to be 10 to 15 minutes before they get there. And more than likely, if you don't do CPR, that person's going to die. The 911 operator begins to talk you through it, telling you to cup your hands together and begin to make compressions. They tell you where to press. And you get on the phone and you say, you know what? I don't want to hurt them. I really don't want to press down. I'm afraid I might crack a rib or, or, or puncture a lung, or I, I don't think I want to do that. If you don't mind, I'll just squeeze their hand and see if I can't get their heart beating. 911 operator speaks to you over the line and says, uh, That's not going to work. And you say, "Well, I don't want to hurt them, and I feel like if I squeeze their hand, would it be better if I do compressions on their feet because they're on their feet all the time? Would that work? Could I get their heart back?" And the nine-one-one operator say, "Are you a dummy? You've got to hit it where it belongs, and that's in the chest. You've got to do the compressions there to help their heart get back on track." And you continue to banter with the nine-one-one operator, and she's saying, "Listen, if you don't do it, they're going." To die if you don 't speak the truth about Jesus, people are going to die and spend an eternity away from him don 't joke around about the truth and say well i'll just i 'll just tell them if they 'll be good they 'll go to heaven i 'll just tell them that You know, if they'll just live like their mommy and their daddy, they'll go to heaven. I'll just tell them, you know, I don't want to talk about sin. I don't want to tell them they need a savior. I don't want to tell them they need to be rescued. I'll just kind of give them a little bit of the details and a little bit. No, 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 no. If you don't speak truth, you're killing them. Snatching them out of the fire. we got to speak truth. We've got to speak Love. The Bible is a book of love. It is. And you say, well, wait a minute. If the Bible is a book of love, how how can it be about love if people are dying and they're going to hell? John 3 16 says, God provided the way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. There's a way to live. You can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose the gift that's already been paid for you or you can choose to try to do it on your own. You can choose to stand before God with his son Jesus Christ who purchased your righteousness so that you could stand before him holy or you can stand there in your own righteousness which is filthy rags and God will say, depart from me for I never knew you. You can choose. But it is a loving story for God so loved the world. He loved every last one of us. You say, are you telling me that God even loves the murderer? He does. God even loves the pedophile. I know that's tough. God loves the arsonist and the thief. He loves them all, and his desire is to save them from their sins. We must speak love. Must speak love. Could you imagine if the EMT showed up on the scene and you've severed an artery in your leg? You've cut it, it's bleeding out, and the EMT takes and makes a tourniquet around your leg and wraps it up tight, and as they're getting ready to put you on a stretcher and take you into the hospital, you say, you know what, it's just a flesh wound. Would you mind bandaging that up, and, and I don't want to have to pay the ambulance ride right on the way to the hospital. Would you mind just kind of taking an ACE bandage and wrapping that thing up, and that'll stop it from bleeding? And the EMT driver says, uh, you you realize you're going to bleed out if we don't get you to the hospital. We've got to get there. We've got to fix the artery. We've got to stop it from bleeding. You will bleed out if we just wrap it up with an Ace bandage." And you say, you know what, but I just feel like that's the best thing. If we could just take a few Band-Aids and we could just slap it on there. Do you realize how deep that cut is? You realize you've cut into an artery. You realize that you are going to bleed. But you know what? I just feel in my heart, this is what I need. Would you mind doing that? I think the ENT might hit you with a little dose of sleepy gas and take you home. Why? Because sometimes that's the way people are. They don't see their need for a Savior You know, it's just a flesh wound. It's not a big deal. It's just, it's barely even cut. They're bleeding to death, and they're sitting there, and they recognize their lives as a train wreck, that everything's going wrong, that nothing's going right, but they want to hold on to the life that they've been living, and God's going, you need a change, and I'm the change you need. We've got to snatch them. We must speak truth. We must speak love. We must show the way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 tells us that there is no other name by which man can be saved but the name Christ Jesus. No other name, no other way. There's only one way. Your fire is consumed with flames. Firefighters have busted through the door. They rush to where you're at. The flames are consuming the house. They're there to rescue you. As they bust through, they've made a trail. They know how to get out, and they say, come with us. We're going to get you out of here. You look at the firefighters, you say, no, 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 no. I got a better way. Let me show you how to get out of here. They look at you and say, wait a minute. You're the one that's been trapped. You're the reason why we're in the fire. We came in to rescue you, and you know the way out, and yet we had to come in here and risk our lives for you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a better way. They'd probably conk you over the head and then put you over their shoulder and carry you out. But yet a lot of people act like that. I got a better way. I got a better way. If I just live a good enough life, God is bound to let me into heaven. If I do more good than I do bad, God has this cosmic scale up there. I don't know where we got this idea that God has a cosmic scale to weigh out good and bad. If God does have a scale that weighs out good and bad, the moment you do one sin, the scales are flipped. They're at such a point that you can't ever tip them back. I don't care how much good you try to do. Because to be honest with you, you probably didn't sin just one time. We've sinned a multitude of times. To be honest with you, I can't even count how many times I've sinned. But I'm here to tell you the only way to flip the scales is not by trying to do good. The only way to flip the scales is to accept the only perfect one who did all good at all times for your heart and for your life to change you and to save you from your sin. And when you come to know Jesus Christ, those scales are slipped, they're flipped the other way. And guess what? They'll never be flipped back. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. There's only one way to change your life. The question I have for you, two questions today, I want you to answer before we leave. One, are you rescuing people? You say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, I'm asking you, Christian, are you rescuing people? Are you telling them the truth? Are you speaking love and showing them the way? Are you helping them understand they're in the fire and they need to be snatched out of it, as Jude says? But if you're not a Christian today, my question is, has Jesus rescued you? Because before you can ever rescue anybody truly and save them from an eternity, you must be saved from the eternal flames yourself. You see, we have the greatest rescue story of all time. I am so thankful for those that serve as our first responders. I promise you, I respect and honor them. So thankful for their service to this community. We would not be able to, I believe in all honesty, without your help, we'd be in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. So thank you for your service. But I want more than anything, not just to be rescued physically. I pray today you'll be rescued spiritually. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let today be the day. Let today be the day you recognize you need to be snatched out of the fire. Don't be the one saying, well, I've got another way. Don't be the one saying, well, I think I know better. Don't be the one saying, well, I've got a better plan. Because you don't. There's one way, one plan, one hope, and it's for all mankind. For God so loved the world. Will you today know Jesus Christ and let him rescue you from the flames that are eternal?